Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. You can be turning in the book of Acts. We started in an introduction, and I think I made it to eight verses. I've got a little bit more marching to do today if we're going to get where I hope to get us, but I'm not going to tell you because you won't know if we don't get there if I if I don't tell you. (laughs) But we got through uh, uh, actually verse 8, and this is this is what Jesus in the Gospel of Luke, this is Luke volume 2, the book of Acts, the story just keeps on going, the truth keeps marching on, but in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 24, he instructed the disciples to wait, to tarry in Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And then we see, opening up last week, the Holy Spirit, as prophesied by the prophet Joel, was poured upon the church, and the church was born. And this is, this is the day of Pentecost coming up. But he said in verse 8, but you shall receive power dunamis, dynamic, explosive, dynamite power when the Holy Spirit, God Almighty, third person of the Trinity, comes upon you, fills you, overflows you, has come upon you, and you shall be martyrs, witnesses, both in life and death, to me. In Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to Habern, Idaho. It says to the ends of the word, but that, that word for ends is the word um, eschatos, which means the last days, the, the, the days that we are living in, to the very end of the church age, when God will take his church and call us home, we'll be raptured to be with him, and that will end the church age. It'll then usher in the seven years of tribulation in which Israel is judged And all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And then Jesus Christ will return with his saints and uh, reign and rule on the earth for a thousand years. But right now, we're in that place waiting. And that's where I left us, waiting. Verse 9 of Acts chapter 1. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud and received out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. These would be angels, okay? Luke, the doctor, the physician, he's very good at describing things, giving us a great observation of what we see. Two men in white apparel who said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This is the same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. This is one of hundreds of, of places in the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, that tells us that Jesus is coming back again. We've just finished his first advent, his first appearance in the flesh. That occurred during his earthly ministry. We talked about baby dedications this morning, and he was born, and Joseph and Mary took him to the temple, and for 33 years he ministered amongst us, and then he was crucified buried, as the scriptures have said, for three days, and rose again according to the scriptures, that was his first advent. And as he ascends into heaven, that closes out that first visit of Jesus. But there's another one coming. And this is what the angels are trying to tell those who are looking up, where did he go? Wait a minute, I told you, remember in the upper room, it's not even a week ago, I said, it's good for me that I go away. For if I go away, I'm going to send you a helper. I'll, I'll pray the Father. He'll send you a helper, a guide. He'll lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit. And we talked about that in great depth last week. The Holy Spirit, who he is, what his ministry is to us, and what all of us as believers receive. Not only is he working alongside us, but he lives in us. And not only does he live in us, but he flows through us. And this is that enduing with power from on high, that baptism, the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, so that you can complete the mission that Jesus began, his church, his body, 
through the power of the Holy Spirit, going into the world and letting them know, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? So, men and brethren, why do you stand looking up? He's coming back just like the way he went, the second coming of Christ. Uh, in Revelation 19.11, I love this, a picture of what that's going to look like, it, yet future for us. It could be as close as seven years away. Should the Lord take us out today and call us to heaven, there will be seven years of tribulation. We won't have to go through it. But then we read in Revelation 19, verse 11, John speaking, the apostle John, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and his head were... And on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Mine eyes have seen the coming, right, of the Lord, the grapes of wrath. He's, he's coming back. And verse 14 of Revelation 19, The armies in heaven clothed in fine linen and white clean followed him on white horses. That's you and me. Now, out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that when it should strike all nations, he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of his wrath of the Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Woohoo! Sneak preview of coming attractions, right? But here they are watching Jesus as he ascends bodily because he was resurrected, body, soul, and spirit, right? He's not just a figment of your imagination. Touch my wounds. Let's have some lunch. He's a real person. And now in heaven, he is ever living body, soul, and spirit interceding for us right now. So just a couple things to try to wrap our head around. These are, these are big thoughts, big ideas, but we've got a big God. We should expect that from him, okay? So he goes on up into heaven. I remember what Jesus said. This was at the upper room. He said uh, in John chapter 14, um, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And so this is not the first time we've seen it, but here on this hillside near Bethany, as all the disciples of Jesus are gathered, he ascends into heaven, closes the first advent, and they are to wait. Wait until you receive the gift of the Father, the Holy Spirit, okay? So, Verse 12, then they returned to Jerusalem. They obeyed. They went to Jerusalem. They returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered the, and went to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, um, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, all these continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Tradition, Christian tradition, is this place that they went to, this upper room we read in verse 13, could possibly have been the room of John Mark, the missionary that went out with Paul and Barnabas, who is the author of the Gospel of Mark. It could have been his mother's house, Mary was his mother. We read coming up in Acts chapter 12, uh, at verse 12, if you remember when Peter was imprisoned after James had been beheaded, Herod was going to have Peter beheaded too, but that night in prison, an, an angel came and broke him out, right? And he went to this place, uh, the house of John Mark, Mary's house, right? And, and Rhoda meets him at the door and, hey, uh, you know, I need to get in. He's just like, we're, we're busy. We're having a prayer meeting. It's like, and they had to go back a second time for Peter to get in with them. That could have been this house. It would have been uncommon for certain in Jerusalem in the days of Jesus to have houses with rooms, a second story that could accommodate 120 people. 
We're, we're probably close to 120 people in here right now. This is a pretty big room. Now, there are rooms like that. We visited when we were in Israel a place called the Upper Room, and it could have fit us all in. It wouldn't have been like nice seating like this. We would have all been standing and gathered together. But nevertheless, that possibly could be the situation. Some of that speculation, but I just bring it out just for kind of a, a little uh, fill-in or color to the picture here. But here we see the apostles minus Judas Iscariot listed as well as uh, the women Mary, the mother of Jesus, um, and his brothers, right? Uh, James, Joseph, Simon, Jude, and uh, possibly even his sisters. There's as much as 120 people there. We don't really know. But one of the things that we see here, when Jesus says, you're going to go into all the world, okay? Baptize him in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to deserve all that I have taught you. And lo, I'll be with you always. Even to the end of the age, the last days, I'm going to send a helper, same as me, God, the Holy Spirit. He's going to go with you, but wait. So he goes to heaven, they go to wait. And they wait. And how long do you think it's going to be until they get the Holy Spirit? What did Jesus say? How long are you going to have to wait? Nobody knew. Nobody knew how long. Well, he's gone maybe this afternoon. We need to get busy. We need to get to work. Okay, Lord, bring it promise we're ready next day well you know maybe he was busy that day you know moving in and everything back to heaven uh so the next day right nothing the third day nothing fourth day nothing fifth day sixth day seventh day eighth day have you ever had something on your heart that you're praying for that it seems like god just isn't answering what did he tell you to do he told you to pray the times and their seasons, they're not in your hands. That's unto the Father, but pray, and he will answer. He's hearing in his time. You're going to get your answer. Your job is to pray, and don't stop. Don't cease. Keep praying. And so this is what they're doing there. The first step in going out into the world, going out into the battlefield, going out onto the field, the first step is to drop to your knees. Anytime you go out on the field. I love that when we watch uh, sports occasionally, especially high school sports, right? What's, what do they do often even in the locker room before they come out in the field? Let's take a knee. That's where the journey begins, on your knees, okay? First step, Terry, take a knee and pray. Second step, we read in Ephesians chapter 6. While you're down there, put on the whole armor of God, okay? Get ready. You're going into battle, and then Ephesians chapter 6, and when you have done all, third step, stand, okay? But here they're in step one. They're tarrying. They're waiting. They're following according to the word of God. Verse 15, and in those days, well, <laughs> we're praying, but they get an idea. In those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of the names was about 120, and said, Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. So right here, Peter is even saying, David, King David, was a prophet. He was inspired. The Holy Spirit moved on him to write these scriptures. That's why we call them the Holy Scriptures. They're not just some work of man's uh, genius. These are God-breathed. And Peter says, God breathed on David concerning Judas. All those many years earlier, a thousand years earlier, God was telling us this was going to happen. It says in verse 17, For he was numbered with us and paid part in this ministry. Jesus went up on a hill and prayed all night for the twelve, and he numbered Judas, even knowing what he was going to do. You see, none of this is beyond God's understanding of what is going to happen. He knows the end from the beginning. He knew Judas would betray him, but so that the scriptures would be fulfilled, Jesus was on the, or Judas was on the team, okay? He was numbered with us and obtained a part in the ministry, verse 18, and this is parenthetical, so Luke is kind of explaining what is going on with Judas here or what went on, let's put it that way. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. Ooh. I mean, that makes his service at the minimum PG. That might be PG-13 right there. That's nasty. You don't want to watch that video. Okay? Uh, now, in Matthew's gospel, 
in Matthew 27, 3 through 10, we get a different take on this. Matthew writes, then Judas, his betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful, not repentant, just sorry he got caught. He was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? You see to it. That's your problem, not ours. Then he threw down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. This is according to Zechariah 11. It describes what the price of a slave was. And they bought Jesus for the price of a slave. Judas, realizing his error, says, I don't want to, I want to I fix it. I'm throwing the money back. But they say, you know what, that's on your head. Okay. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it's not lawful to put them in the treasury because they are the price of blood. This is hypocrisy on steroids, okay? It's their hypocrisy, and yet we can't put that in the treasury. That's dirty blood money. Really? It's your idea. You're the one that came up with it. Verse 7, and they consulted together, and they bought with them a potter's field to bury strangers in. A potter's field is a field where they would go get the clay, the very fine clay that they would make pottery out of. So there was a field that was good for pottery. They went and used the money to buy that field, okay? Um, and, that, and they use it then to bury strangers. You know, when people die, you don't know who they are. They would just, well, this is the uh, potter's field, right? This is where we bury the unknowns. Verse 8, therefore, that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Akeldama is what it's called um, in the Aramaic. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet saying, and this is quoting Zechariah 11 again, and they took 50 or 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was priced, of whom the children of Israel priced, and gave them for a potter's field as the Lord directed. So here in Matthew's gospel, it says Judas went and hung himself. Now, according to Luke, it says that he fell headlong and he burst open in the middle and his entrails gushed, gushed out. And people are like, well, that seems like it's not the same thing. And it could be, seem like it's not the same thing, but here's a plausible answer to that, that when Judas went to hang himself, he did climb up a tree, throw a noose around his neck, and jump off, but he didn't count on his weight and the force of the impact, and the branch broke, and he fell down and popped open, okay? So Judas should have hung around with the apostles, But he split. <laughs> I didn't make that up. It's right here. <laughs> okay. Verse 19, I'll pick up. And it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem, so the field is called in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms. Now, here Peter is going to quote Old Testament. He's going to quote the Psalms. And, and here we see an example of the Holy Spirit giving us divine commentary in the New Testament about the Old Testament and how they are inextricably linked. They are all God-breathed. The Holy Spirit is the author from Genesis to Revelation, so it's one story, okay? We tell it in two major pieces, before Christ and Ono Domini, after Christ. But Speaking out of Psalm 69, 25, Peter quotes, let his dwelling place be desolate. Let, let it just be abandoned. No, no heritage for him. And let no one live in it. And he also quotes Psalm 109, 8, let another take his office. And so Peter says, this is what the Holy Spirit was speaking through the psalmist when he wrote these things. It was about Judas. And it says somebody needs to take his office. That word for office used right here is episcopen, which we get the word for the Episcopalian church. And episcopen literally re relates to somebody who is the overseer or the bishop. Somebody, that's the office, that's the role, that's what the 12 apostles did. They oversaw the ministry of the body of Christ. But Judah, Judas, I'm sorry, he chose to forfeit his role and so they said, we need to fill that office. We need somebody else in there. Uh, we get this idea of 12 people in office ruling over all, fundamentally from the idea of Jacob, later named Israel, his 12 sons, and how the 12 tribes each had a head from each tribe that oversaw all of Israel. And then as God constituted 
his believers, Christ's followers, Christ prayed for these 12 who would then sit in government or authority over others. I think I said last week, and apologies to Jerry and Jeff and Dallas, that there was no church government, and in fact, it's right here, okay? So, there is, there is a kind of an idea of who God appoints, those people, it's their job, it's, they're a shepherd, they're an overseer, it's their job to make sure everybody's okay. And they said, we need, to, we need to add somebody to that. Verse 21, therefore, of these men who have accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become witnesses with us of his resurrection. So they've laid down fundamentally three principles for somebody to take the office of apostle. It has to be somebody who was part of them who went with us. Jesus prayed out of the disciples and selected 12, but there were many disciples. There were people who followed along from the very beginning. And then it also says they must be witnesses of the baptism where God, the Holy Spirit, descended upon Jesus while God the Father spoke from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. They would have to have that testimony from the baptism to his resurrection. Touch me, see if it's not I. I am the risen Lord. So they would have to have accompanied him. They'd have to be witnesses of those things and uh, the witness of the resurrection. We saw it with our own eyes. If you're going to be overseeing the flock, you must have this testimony. And so uh, they proposed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell that he might go to his own place. And they cast lots, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered among the 11 apostles. Okay, So in the interim, the 10 days while they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to fall upon them, that they would go out and be witnesses, remember they've already been born again. Jesus breathed on them in the upper room that day of resurrection and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So it's not like they weren't born again. They were, uh, but they're just waiting for that dynamic power to go out and, and witness uh, that they, they do this thing. Now, there's been controversy or let's say discussion in the church ever since this day. It was Matthias actually the one they were supposed to pick? Uh, and arguments go something like this. One, they picked two and then told God which one they pick, pick between the two. But they gave God the choice, okay? They didn't say, well, pick between Barsabbas Bar and Matthias and um, Joe, all right? Or Mike. It was those two. So, you know, they were kind of acting in the flesh. Now, you can make that statement, but they are born again. And the Bible never says anything to contradict this choice. And in fact, we're going to see on the day of Pentecost that Peter stood up with the 11. So at this point, Matthias is included in the scriptures. Now, some people will say, well, you never hear about Matthias after this. This is the last time you hear about him, so you don't really find out what's going on. Well, other than Peter and John, this is the last you hear of all of the apostles. In fact, we just read about Mary being in the upper room there in prayer. It's the last place we read about her in the scriptures, too. So that is not, uh, uh, you know, any kind of evidence that Matthias wasn't the pick. And some people go on and they, they try to make a case that Paul, one born out of season, he would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I'm an apostle. And all of these things really, I think, are, are just uh, kind of a waste of time. I, I always talk about when people want to get around and talk about scriptures, Okay. And it's a good thing to do. And theologians do it. You go to seminary, Bible college, you should. This is very profitable for us. But not to get into all kinds of crazy uh, quarreling about endless genealogy and wives' tales and speculations and all that kind of stuff. Where the scriptures are silent, we would do well to zip it and not make any kind of dogma. It's okay to like I'm doing right now. It's okay to discuss it, but if you don't have a clear answer, then leave that for further revelation. God can bring that your way. 
Here the scriptures indicate that Messiah was the one. And Paul coming along is also counted as an apostle. And you have to understand, the apostle, the word simply means somebody who is sent out with a commission. The ambassador, somebody who is recognized as a, a representative of Jesus Christ going out into the world. Now, Matthias was counted amongst the 12, but that doesn't mean that there aren't apostles all over the planet today. We wouldn't call them the 12, okay? When we get to heaven, it's not going to be all these other people's names that we see written on the foundations of the New Jerusalem, but apostle isn't a missionary. It's somebody the church gathers together, lays hands on them, prays over them. The Holy Spirit moves and said, Paul and Barnabas, you go out and preach to the Gentiles. Mike and Cheryl, you go out, go to the Philippines. Lloyd and Sherry, you go out, go to the Philippines. People are sent out. That's an apostle too. So I don't want to make it too much of a sticking point for anybody, but nevertheless, he was numbered amongst the 11 apostles, okay? Verse chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now we know this is 10 days later because it's on Pentecost. Pentecost means 50 days in the Greek. It's a celebration of the Hebrew feast of Shavuot. Shavuot is a, a word that means sevens or seven weeks. Week is seven days, seven times seven is 49 weeks, and the feast of Shavuot is the summer feast. There's three feasts in the spring, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. Then counting from first fruits, which is Resurrection Sunday, Jesus Christ being the first fruits from the dead, you count 49 days, seven weeks, Shavuot, and then the next day begins Pentecost, okay, 50 days later. And it was, it's told, or the, the tradition in Judaism, is that Pentecost was celebrated not only because it's in the book of Leviticus, chapter 23, you're supposed to come together, it's called a Shalosh Relagim, um, and it's a, uh, one of the required feasts, there's three of them. Every able-bodied Jew should come to Jerusalem on Passover, on Shavuot, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And so this is one of the three required feasts. And so it's in the Bible. It's in the summertime. So you got your three spring feasts, your summertime feasts, and then there's three fall feasts about to kick off here. Um, the 15th will be uh, Yom Teruah, also known as Rosh Hashanah, which is the blowing of the trumpets, calling all the faithful back. And then 10 days of awe, followed by Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, followed by Tabernacles, one of the required feasts. This is an interesting one, Pentecost. It was probably the most well-attended of the three Shalosh Ragalim because it was in the summer, and it was good traveling weather. We don't have to figure that one out. It's not too hard. You want to go visit somebody, winter is a bad time to pick, right? Hurricane season is not a good time to pick if they live down south or whatever. You try to figure out the good weather. And so this was a, a, a big global gathering, a, a homecoming of all the Jews. So it was very cosmopolitan, which is to say lots of cultures, lots of people from all parts of the earth came back to Pentecost. So now here we are, 10 days later, Jesus, after his resurrection, was with the disciples 40 days. We read that last week. And then he went up at 40 days to Pentecost, 50 days, they were waiting for 10 days. The 10 days is up. 10 days of waiting. 10 days of wondering. 10 days of questioning. 10 days of searching the scriptures. 10 days of searching your heart. 10 days of emptying yourself. 10 days of humbling out to the point there is nothing left of you, but it's all God. And you, you come to the end of yourself and you just stand in glory and awe and amazement of God. Now, God's ready to do something with you. When the, day, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. I'm going to touch on that for just a minute because we're going to get into more activity, more dynamics, more power, more acts of the Holy Spirit as we go through the book here, but especially this morning, one of the prominent gifts of the Holy Spirit. But before we get to that, don't miss this. They were emptied. They were humbled. They were hungry. They were focused on God, on His Word, 
seeking and searching and waiting, and they were in one accord. Complete unity in the body, all moving in the same direction. Ephesians chapter 4, speaking about the Holy Spirit on uh, a couple levels, says, Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, four, chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in y'all. He goes on to say in verse 11, And he, Jesus Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God gave some to these offices, the office of a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. These are gifts of the Holy Spirit. God's first and foremost gift to the church is you, we, us, the people. Just the very fact that he created you. From your mother's womb, he knit you and he knew everything about you and what he was creating you to be and do as he would fit you into his church, each one of you in your place. But this all works when everybody is in one accord. Okay? There used to be really sad jokes back in the day that everybody had to fit into some kind of a Honda. I just say that for those of you that are young enough not to have been abused that way. Um, bad joke, okay? Um, but nevertheless, uh, and also, I just want to pick up on 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. This is one of the chapters, one of the big chapters in the Bible, talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I say that a little bit like that because some people just go bananas on this chapter alone, and there's so much more about the Holy Spirit, but they want to come to this one. Remember, they were in one accord. They were in unity. They were in love. They had the bond of peace. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away by these dumb idols, however you were led. That's a nice introduction. <laughs> Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus a curse, and no one can say that Jesus is the Lord except by the Holy Spirit. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works all in all. But the manifestations of the Spirit are given each one for the profit of all, for the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. And it begins with a humble and contrite heart, first step, on our knees, praying, seeking God. What would you have us do? We want to be witnesses. And I say all of that because if you start on that step, it'll help us avoid a lot of abuses and misunderstandings of what the Holy Spirit does through His church. Now, we are the Springs, which comes out of uh, John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38. If any of you thirst, come, to, come and drink. For he who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will spring forth rivers of living water. This he spoke of his Holy Spirit was not yet given because he had not yet been crucified. But now we are beyond his crucifixion, his resurrection, his exaltation, and we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit does move in us and move through us. And there are gifts, manifestations we just read, diversities of gifts, but he manifests as he chooses 
through us for the edifying of the body of Christ. We are the springs, we are a Calvary Chapel. And one of the Calvary Chapel distinctives, what you will find if you go to any Calvary Chapel on planet Earth, we all come out of one same root, and we're all in fellowship together, but we are all charismatic. And if you call this your home and you follow with the Calvary chapels around the world, it's not saying we've got it right or wrong or whatever. It's just one way of describing us. But charismatic says that we believe in the chrism, the charismata, charis. Charis is the word for grace, but it's a word that describes God pouring his grace on us. And when you read in 1 Corinthians 12 about the gifts of spirit those are the charismata those are the marks of the chrism this is the christ that anointing that god put upon jesus he spoke of it out of isaiah in nazareth when he opened up the scroll and said the spirit of the lord is upon me i have been anointed by the holy spirit okay and we any of us who are christians we carry the name of Christ, we carry the symbol of his anointing, should walk in the Spirit. And the Spirit dwelling in us should manifest each of us as he sees fit, when and how he sees fit. Okay? So this is not some wild, crazy, uh, what some people would call hyper-Pentecostalism, taken from the day of Pentecost, where people are speaking in tongues, clearly, and yet hyper-Pentecostalism, kind of people in uh, different flavors of the church, um, kind of emphasize, or I should say overemphasize uh, some of these things. And in many cases, I think it's honestly just abused, and a lot of it's just drummed up by people who want want to have the power, want to have the mojo. And I said, what, what are you doing that for anyways? What, why, why do you do it when you come to church? You should be doing it at Walmart. What do you mean? The power is to be witnesses. It's not to make a fool of yourself. Hang from the chandeliers, bark like dogs, roll on the aisle, laughing and whatever, which is what happens. And I think that is uh, one of the things that causes people to say, ah, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And I'd say, amen. Me neither. I've been in those places and I get freaked out. But this is not that. We are charismatic. We do believe that God can manifest through us, as we'll see, even in tongues. But the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were all with one accord in one place. It has to be in unity, in love, in the bond of peace. And suddenly they came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, couple things I need to bring out of this. For starters, they've moved location. This is not the upper room, okay? Uh, this is not John Mark's Mommy Mary's house, okay? Uh, it's a different place. Most likely, it's in the temple precincts. As you would enter the big walls around the temple, there was Solomon's uh, portico with colonnades and porches all the way around. Then you come into the um, the, the, the square or the, the, the place of the Gentiles, and you can move further into that where Jewish women could go, but then you move beyond that, and only men could get into the temple itself, okay? So outside, where all the, all the people who have come for Pentecost from around the world are all gathered here, this is a huge area. It's, it's many square acres, 30-something square acres. It's a pretty big area, okay? And so there in these porticos, they would call the house, and that could be the same word for temple, they're at the temple, and um, a sound of a mighty rushing wind. It doesn't say it was a mighty rushing wind. It was just a sound. It reminds me of some of these silly cars that go around nowadays, and they're supposed to sound like old muscle cars, but all it really is is a speaker. They just have a speaker that goes vroom, vroom when they drive down the road. And the car is like, if you took the speaker off, it would go, you know. This is the sound, and it's a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Appropriate, as we discussed last week, one of the uh, appearances or manifestations of the Holy Spirit is as wind or breath. From the very beginning in Genesis 1, we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the face, His wind blowing over the waters, the ruach the very breath of God. So it's not surprising that here in Greek, pneuma, the word for Holy Spirit, is the same word for breath. 
that they hear the Holy Spirit has come to their prayer meeting, okay? And now everybody on the temple precinct, on the temple grounds, heard this noise. Something's going on, okay? Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It'll grab your attention. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire on one, and one sat upon each of them, okay? So it doesn't say there was fire, okay? That would be the first case of on-fire Christians in the Bible. But it is speaking, and that's where we get that term, on fire. It's somebody who is in the Holy Ghost, somebody who is walking in the Spirit. Now, often it's a, it can be a, a funny thing. It's a pejorative, like some of these hyper-Pentecostals. Man, that guy's got the ghost, you know? He's on fire. And on fire can simply be enough of just talking to your friend and saying, are you done running? Are you ready for Jesus? Can I pray for you? And, and leading him to the Lord, that is the Holy Ghost. This is what God does. He witnesses to Jesus and the power to go talk to that person that maybe you're afraid to talk to or maybe you're not afraid to talk to, but every time you do, it turns into World War III. And then one day, the Holy Spirit opens up the door and their heart opens up to God. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. Nevertheless, here at this time, Jerusalem is thronged with pilgrims from all over the planet. And now it says there's tongues of fire. And so people are like, what is that? I don't know, but look at those guys over there. Let's go find out. There's something weird going on there, okay? Again, it should not surprise us. Fire is another manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We see throughout the scriptures. Often when God would be proven that he was who he is, like with Elijah, where there's this big old showdown between the prophets of Baal and they can't bring fire down from heaven. Elijah prays and bam, fire comes down, consumes the offering. We see that quite often in the Bible. And this picture of being on fire, the idea of somebody um, who has been anointed, evidence, man, there's something different about you. You got the glow, you know? You've got, you got the Holy Ghost. And so they have appeared on them tongues of fire as one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled. And this filled is that word we've been talking about with the epi, the overflowing. You, you're filled to the point that you, you're just, you're leaking. You're, you're, you're springing forth living water. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Clearly, I'm not going to get as far as I wanted today, so you don't know how far I wanted to get, but I know, and I'm not going to get there. And it, it's basically time to stop right here. Um, and I'm probably going to do that, because if I don't, it's never going to end. <laughs> Worship team, come on up. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. That is heteroglossis, other, not the same kind. When Jesus said, I'll send you another helper, that was homo pericletos, of the same nature, of the same kind. That helper that comes is going to be of the very essence of God. He is God. He is the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. I'm going to send you another one exactly like me. Here, these are hetero or different glosis. Glosis comes from the, the word for tongue. But what it is is languages or dialects, different ways of speaking. And what is happening here is that the Holy Spirit, as they are empty, and they are open, and they are willing, and they are ready, God shows up. He fills them up, and then they are able to speak a different language than what they normally speak. Now, a lot of you are probably all primed and ready to go. Here he goes. You're gonna, but I told you I'm not going to go there. You're going to have to come back next time. But I want to make clear to you, and we're going to see here, 
And uh, I'm going to finish this really fast. Time me. Okay. Okay. Different tongues. The Spirit allowed them to do that. It's not something they knew how to do. God put it in them to speak out words that they didn't recognize. Different languages, foreign languages, you could say. Verse 5, And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. From every nation under heaven. And now it's going to list 15 different nations that were there for Pentecost. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused. And often that's the case. Um, because everyone heard them speak in his own language. How is it that they can speak in their own language? These 50 nations are coming together. They were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? Kind of an interesting thing. Kind of a slam on Galileans. Um, Galileans are noted for having a difficulty pronouncing their gutturals, and they had a habit of swallowing their syllables. They sounded a little bit like hillbillies or hicks or whatever you want to say, right? Um, and they were looked down upon by the people of Jerusalem as being provincial. You're such a country bumpkin, uneducated, not eloquent of speech, okay? You're just a Idahoan. Um, <laughs> it's fun to laugh at ourselves. They all were amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? How is it that they can speak? And look at the languages. It says, how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Dialectos is the word, dialect. We can hear it in our dialect. If I'm from Parthian, Greek, I'm hearing it in Greek, that would be easy, okay? Koine was the common Greek language, spoke all over the Roman world, and it was certainly well known from all of these international travelers. They would know Greek, the Parthian wouldn't be that unusual. Medes and Elam, that's getting into the Persians, that's like Farsi today. Um, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, uh, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, is that Mandarin, I think? You know, not, not necessarily, but uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. This is wonderful. This is amazing. They've come to Pentecost. They hear this noise they're at the temple they're there to worship right this is the day god gives us the law this is the day we celebrate harvest traditionally in judaism during pentecost they read the book of ruth because that's the book about harvest right and how this moabite is joins on to naomi and becomes a bride of boaz and is actually in the genealogy of jesus christ but never anyone stops to think isn't she a gentile what's she doing here and on the day of Pentecost, now while all these people from all these nations are here, the Holy Spirit shows up to seal those who seek him. And uh, the church is birthed, okay? Uh, and what are they doing? Thus says the Lord, repent. No. This is one of the things, and we're going to get into this next week, but it's just finishing out this verse. The Holy Spirit, when you are speaking in the Holy Spirit, you're declaring the glories of God. Okay, there'd be no different than coming into this room this morning. I know there's some amongst you who speak Spanish. I know there's some amongst you who speak Tagalog. I know there's some amongst you that speak a foreign language. And you could be saying, Hosanna, praise the Lord, in a variety of languages, and it could be beautiful. We'll get into the details of that later. But they're all amazed. These Galileans, these simpletons, how is it that they're just glorifying God? And that is what the Holy Spirit does. We studied it last week. He will lead you into remembrance of me and all things that I, will, that I have taught you. He, the Holy Spirit, will glorify me. And when the gifts of tongues is in operation, it will be praises, glory, magnifying God. And that's what was happening that day at Pentecost. And it says, so they were all amazed. Wow. I mean, who wouldn't be, right? 
and perplexed, kind of at a loss. I'm not sure how to explain this. What is this? Saying to one another, whatever could this mean? That's a good question, church. The springs. What does this mean? What does this mean? We're going to get there next week. But the gifts are for you and your children afar off, as many as who would believe. The gifts are for today. All of them, not just this one. As he chooses in his time, according to his purposes, for the building up of his body. Okay? Nevertheless, what could this mean? Good question to ask. And if you're ready to understand and hear the answer, it could revolutionize your life. Absolutely. I don't know how anybody walks forward as a Christian without the anointing, without the chrism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Yet, we're going to get into that a little deeper. While others mocking said, they are full of new wine. Basically, they're drunk. We're going to see Peter say in a couple of minutes, it's just nine in the morning, they're not drunk. Okay? And certainly in that culture, and it's kind of like that today in our culture. <laughs> Maybe less so than it was in their culture, but people don't get drunk at nine in the morning, okay? <laughs> That's not what it is. And clearly, we read in uh, Galatians that the gifts of the Spirit, one of the gifts is self-control. If you are manifesting, operating, if the Holy Spirit is flowing through you to be witnesses to other people, declaring the glories of God and drawing people to Christ, you're not going to be like a drunk. You're not going to be out of control. It will, you will have self-control, Okay? So, those are a couple things. We're going to stop there, um, and we're going to go ahead and pray, and we'll finish out in worship. I will re really encourage you, stay after for today's presentation, okay, on what's going on in our community, so that you can be educated, equipped, and, and get engaged. That there are many fronts that we can go out into the world, just like on the day of Pentecost, and win souls for Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this morning, this opportunity once again to come together in unity, in the bond of peace, in the harmony of love, in one accord, all of us worshiping you, all of us surrendered to you, all of us filled with your Holy Spirit that we may go out from this place as salt and as light and witness you to the world around us in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.